Good afternoon. My name is Katie, and I will be your conference operator today. Welcome to Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies series about the latest developments in politics and policy in D.C. Our call today will be moderated by Blake Rutherford, a member of Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies. Our speakers are Howard Schweitzer, Managing Partner, and Mark Alderman, Chairman of Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies. This recording will also be available after the call on iTunes and SoundCloud by searching for Cozen O'Connor. For any questions, please email presidentialanalysis at cozen.com. Thank you very much. Uh, my name is Blake Rutherford, uh, and I'm with Cozen O'Connor. And as always, I'm joined by Mark Alderman, the chairman of Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies, and Howard Schweitzer, the managing partner of Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies. Welcome back to the Beltway Briefing, gentlemen. Blake, Mark, um, see ya. Good, good to see everybody on this uh, cold and rainy day in in Washington. I haven't I haven't checked the stock market um, in the in the last five minutes, so I can't I can't report on it. But uh, we we are we've entered a new era of obsession with uh, with the stock market being up, down, and all around. I want to talk a little bit about that. But before we get into the news of the day, which there is of course a lot of news of the day. Every day. Um, every day. There's a lot of news of the day. Uh, in, in another time, we'd spend a considerable amount of this call talking about the State of the Union, talking about the effects of that speech. Uh, I, to be honest with you, I've honestly already forgotten about it. But, uh, but be that as it may, Mark, I'll start with you. Quick reactions to the State of the Union and the Democrats' response? Largely forgotten about it, Mike, uh, as, as you said. Uh, the president's hilarious joke about the Democrats being treasonous for not applauding for him uh, was maybe yesterday's news that two will be gone by tomorrow. But I, I don't think we should anticipate any lasting consequences from the, the State of the Union. It was, I've lost count, it was something like the 87th pivot for the president, and now we're on to the 88th. And I'm a little, I, admittedly, I'm a little surprised. It was not the longest State of the Union speech ever. I thought that might be the one record he would be interested uh, in setting, but, but he, he, did not, uh, he did not surpass Bill Clinton in, in that regard. Howard, any, any lingering thoughts about the State of the Union? My only thought is that the two of you have already forgotten about it because you live in Philadelphia and you're just wearing off your hangover from the Eagles' victory, and, and so everything from last week is pretty much a blur. Not everything. Not the game. Not the game. (laughs) And not the fact, just to keep it political, not the fact that the um, Eagles owners are good Democratic contributors, not true of the Patriots owners. Or the Patriots quarterback. Or the Patriots coach or the Patriots quarterback. So it was a triumph uh, not only of the better team, but of uh, good over evil. And you were rewarded the next day with a stock market tank. So I'm calling it, I'm calling it the Eagles crash. You know what? Uh, Strange things happen when teams very, that don't win championships win a championship. All for the market going up instead of down, but if a couple of thousand points will take a chunk out of uh, Trump's rhetoric, it's a sacrifice we have to be prepared to make. See, but to that serious point, Howard, I mean, yeah. one of the things that we have seen politically is this notion of taking credit for the yeah. for the stock market. And this isn't just related to Trump. We can you can go back to the early days of Obama, and you know he he came out when asked about asked about the stock market. Mark, your friend Jason Furman has a very good op-ed 
um, in Politico about about the the vexing nature of the stock market on on Presidents. Obama stumbled early, and I think got got teased about being the stock picker in chief, and yes. <laughs> didn't make that mistake so again. Well. Uh, did not go well for him. Uh, but Trump has been um, has been adamant um, about praise for the stock market, most notably that he is responsible for great growth in the stock market. What do you what do you sort of make of all this dialogue about? I mean, because again, we saw we saw some volatility in it over the last the last several days, and uh, and and um, the New York Times has a has kind of a deep dive on it in the business section. Today, for anybody who wants to wants to get wonkish, what do you make about make about this relationship between stock market and Trump's success, perceived success, et cetera, et cetera? I mean, he he's clearly sought to create that narrative, um, and but he's not well. He knows he knows the waters he's swimming in. I was going to say he's not stupid, but I know that would invite serious response from you, Mark. Um, he knows what he's doing on this. And guess what? This guy changes the narrative every single day. So what does he care? What does he care that last week he was talking about the Dow and this week he's not? He changes the narrative. And he knows he can do that. And the fact of the matter is there's a large segment of the population of this country that gets their news from Donald J. Trump. That is their source of information. And they don't care. So I think I don't think this is a situation where he's going to learn that he shouldn't play the stock market. I think he knows what he's doing. Well, and to, and to augment that point, I mean, we saw we've seen polling recent, very recently that shows that Trump has a 90 percent approval rating among among Republicans. His overall approval rating is hovering about about where where it was, but he really has Mark kind of been able to keep that keep that base together despite. Some other things I want to get into um, yeah. election-wise. Yeah, I, I think it's all rhetoric and entertainment. Trump's relationship to the stock market, that is, the stock market itself is obviously real. But it it's all rhetoric until we get closer to November. The phenomenon that we are experiencing is a good economy. And many Americans doing well, including in the stock market. Half of Americans aren't in it, we know. But despite the good economy, Trump goes up a little, he goes down a little. He is still the least popular president at this point in his administration in polling history. And and that is saying something because it's disproving Jim Carville's wisdom about it, it being the economy stupid. If we get to November and the economy is still good and the market is still intact, that is uh, obviously to Republicans' advantage. If any of that should dip, that is going to be a real problem for Republicans because I think it's basically what's what's holding them up right now. Well, and and now we're starting to see very big news out of today. We'll see we'll see finally what happens when the day ends. But it looks like we've got a we've got a deal in the Senate on spending. Um, uh, president not really involved in this. Senate leaders not really acquiescing to much of what what Trump has asked. Senate Democrats agreed to split 
this with immigration, so they're going spending. That's creating some problems, as we've already seen in the House. But, Howard, what do you make of kind of what's – and I know it's happening in real time, but so far what you've seen, what do you make of, of, of where that's headed? That's Washington. That's the way Washington works. And I think that because Trump is Trump, everyone's favorite parlor game is to talk about – you know, this person being involved and that person not being involved. And, but this is, you know, this is the way Washington works. Unfortunately, we've gotten into an environment where the culture of Washington has become an 11th hour deal on everything, which is terrible um, and, and needs to change. But, but the fact of the matter is that they're, they're going to cut a deal and something's going to get done. It's in nobody's interest to shut down the government again. And... To, to that point, Mark, we were recently with a prominent member of the Senate, and the discussion of of immigration came up in the context of all this, and some pretty interesting insights about about where the Senate the Senate might be, and then the relationship yeah. you know, to that in the House. Well, the Senate is going to cut a deal, as Howard just said. The Senate's going to cut a spending deal, and the Senate's going to cut an immigration deal. The Senate as we all know, had an immigration deal a couple years ago. It isn't going to be exactly that. But the Senate's going to send the House something bigger than the House sent over. It's going to be a bigger spending package, and it's going to be a bigger immigration package, certainly bigger since the House sent over nothing. And then it'll get interesting. we got to see what happens in the House. It's my belief that notwithstanding Trump's absence from these talks really not only has he not contributed he's confused everybody with whether he's for linkage or not between spending and immigration but the house is not going to pass something that the president isn't going to sign so it's gonna it's gonna be a deal or not but it it isn't going to get to the white house without him and he'll sign. Unfortunately, Blake and Mark, we're living in an environment where <laughs> the the assessment of what's going on in Washington is almost like the assessment of what goes on in the stock market. There are people who invest for the long term and there are people who invest for the short term and, and Washington has a case of short-termerism um, because if you look at the economy, you look at the tax bill, you look at growth in this country, the Republicans actually need immigration reform. The the Democrats want it for um, political purposes. The Republicans need it for economic purposes. One of the reasons the stock market went haywire this week, well, it's what you said, Mark. It's the economy is actually doing well and investors have become concerned that it's doing too well. Right. And and that um, we're going to see inflation, um, yeah. in part because wages are going up, which is happening in part because of a shortage of workers. And unless the government fixes our immigration situation, there are not going to be enough workers to do the jobs that are going to be created in a robust, robust economy. Which is one of the reasons that Republicans in the Senate are coming to terms with the right. need to have an immigration reform. And in yes, 
it's all broken. It's all broken. Everybody's unpopular. None of it is working. But in fairness, the, the Senate is likely tonight to send over to the House some responsible legislation addressing spending and immigration, and in large part Republicans on the immigration piece because of the the economic need. And and then we're just gonna have to see what what happens. Well I guess what I'm saying is it's not all broken. We the way we look at it, the way the media covers it is is very broken. Yeah. But I don't think that but the policy making, the Republicans get the long term view yeah. that we need more workers. In the Senate. Okay. See what happens. Well, I mean, I, and I think we'll have to see. Yeah. But I mean, this is going. This is a bipartisan effort. I mean, right. this deal is a bipartisan bill. Um, the Senate is actually governing. Yeah. It's. A, I mean, and I'm rooting for the House to follow <laughs> suit. <laughs> but it, but this is bipartisan. The, there there has been, as we know, a they were able to to bifurcate these issues. There's a working group on spending with negotiators that were bipartisan. There's been a working group on immigration that's bipartisan, and they're largely going to come up with, if right, of course, they've done this once before, so of course our cynicism sets in and says, oh, well, they've done it before, so whatever, but be that as it may, um, you will see some of that. I think, the Mark, to your point, and I want to elaborate on it a little bit, is that unlike the Senate, Republicans in the House seem more sensitive to the prerogative of the president and what whether or not the president will go for this deal. And you mentioned earlier, Mark, a little bit confusing coming out of the White House. I mean, Trump said, "I'm happy to welcome a shutdown if we don't if we don't deal with." I think his word was safety. Um, so so it will be interesting. You do have you do have the Democratic leader Nancy Pelosi posturing a little bit, um, but that may be all that it is. Um, there are. It, in my estimation, there are going to be Republicans who are going to look at this spending bill and they're going to look at this immigration deal and they're going to have to they're going to have to think about it. Same with Democrats. I mean, again, there may be an opportunity, but the president seems to play an outsized role in the House. So I thought we might talk about that a little bit. They're up for election every two years. Every one of them is up for election every two years. They are much more immediately responsive to the president standing in their districts than the senators are. And I think that is largely what what accounts for it. Uh, you also have, of course, in the House a much more entrenched Freedom Caucus. There's no analog um, in the Senate. But what you're going to see, I I hope, I'm I'm all for whatever the Senate sends over, somehow getting through the House. It will not happen, obviously, with only Republican votes. Paul Ryan is going to need a lot of Democratic votes, a uh, hundred Democratic votes, plus or minus, and and I hope they can get there. I hope the Democrats can get there. I hope enough Republicans can get there, and the president will sign it. The president. They're not passing something he won't sign, and he's not vetoing something. He's tweaking the Democrats because they overplayed their hand a couple of weeks ago on the shutdown. Uh, Yes. Yes. Although, let's see how this story ends, and that may look better in the rearview mirror. Right. I I agree with that, but that's... 
yeah. he's having a little fun. Well, it's interesting to me, Blake uh, and Howard, that I think we should uh, talk about uh, is let's let's hope and predict. I both hope and predict that this somehow gets done. And maybe if it doesn't get done, done now, it gets rolled into March. By the end of the first quarter of this year, there's going to be some immigration fix, how broad, we'll see. And there's going to be a spending bill. And then what happens? And then what happens? Look, this is all posturing our way to November of 2018. Well, that, that's my point. I think Congress functionally uh, goes into election mode and and hibernation uh, once this all gets patched up. Because it, I don't see anything else on the horizon. I know, Howard, I'm curious your your political thoughts on this. I know... You're very interested in involved in the infrastructure opportunity. Uh, I just don't see how it happens. Well, it is bipartisan. What is it that is bipartisan? The the acknowledgement that we need it is the, the acknowledgement that we need it, but a desire to to um, see it get done. The Democrats most definitely want want the money. Um, and the Republicans have a reason to want to see it, and Trump has a reason from a from a political perspective. So I wouldn't. I think it's less than fifty percent, but it's not much less than fifty percent. I think it's something that actually could get done. I'm a little more skeptical that uh, it's anywhere near 50-50. We need it. It would be good for the country. Forget I, who it would be good for politically. It would be good for the country. I, 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 actually, I actually think the biggest factor outside of kind of pure politics weighing against it right now is the state of the economy because <laughs> right. an infrastructure bill would be viewed as stimulative to the economy, and I think policymakers right now don't want more economic stimulus. Yeah, I mean, there is this, there is, I mean, I there, there is that argument of, look, we kind of have to, we do have to wait and see what this tax bill does. Right. Lots of people on right. both sides say, wait, we may have overheated the economy here. Right. Um, and, and so I, I sense that, too. Well, and the, the, there's certainly no crying need for borrowing yet more money that, to stimulate the economy. That was going to be my if next the point. money were sitting in a pile and we needed to spend it, I think infrastructure, notwithstanding a, a hot economy, would be a, a, a good opportunity. But there's no money. Yeah, I, was, I was going to talk about it in the context of, of again, in the relationship to we're already seeing the deficit's going to reach a trillion. We know that there's another 1.5 trillion or so baked in over the next decade. Um, you know, Trump's plan, you know, originally was to have state and local contribute money. We know that that's a that's a very difficult sell um, because there's not that money there for, for them to do it. They'd already be doing it, I think. Um, but the last piece I'm just curious about, and I think it's just kind of that wait and see, is what this spending bill, if the dollar for dollar stays the same between military and non non-military if that's ultimately what what 
what the president signs, how that that money flows back into yeah. local communities, and what the what the priorities are um, of that. So I, it's not anything. It's just I think there's there's a lot mixed into yep. everything that's happening right now, which is again fascinating from an from an analytical perspective. But you previewed it both, and I I think let's go there. I mean, for sake of you know, for sake of argument, a deal, some deal gets done on on spending, et cetera. Um, we're into you know March, April. Um, are we are we locked into midterm mode at that point, or, or is are we in? Is the are, are our blinders on to anything <laughs> to November and nothing else? Pretty much. I think pretty much. I I agree. I think most cycles. That's about the timing. Some years it gets pushed into the early summer, but this year doesn't feel like like that. I I think they're going to get through what's right in front of them, and then it's going to be campaign season. Mark will still be talking about the Eagles having won the Super Bowl <laughs> every single day. That- but otherwise, right. I think I it's think, all about midterm. I'm afraid, Howard, you're going to have to be prepared in the yeah. in, in in what I what I hope is a continued long partnership. You're going to hear about it every day for years to come. That's probably um, true, and uh, certainly <laughs> until the next year. Yeah, right. Um, which but I do want to say, in in fairness to my friend and partner Howard, the Giants, who were not playing in the Super Bowl, definitely won the ad won the commercial. Yes. And the best yeah. commercial. <laughs> and that bodes well for something, something. not necessarily next season. Something. Yeah. yeah. Well and, and again the the draft is always fun. We could we could talk NFL I know for a for a very long time. Um but I do I do wanna I do want to make note Mark where and we've talked about some of the special elections um, that have taken place around the country. We had one. We had a couple in Missouri. Um, house yeah. race, uh, state house races. Uh, Democrat, Democrat won in a yeah. in a heavy Trump district. Um, again, all this stuff is anecdotal. But but we but Missouri's a huge well, midterm state. Just so people know what we're talking about. Last night mm-hmm. in Missouri, there were two state house races. All politics is local. Two state house races. Democrat won one, Republican won the other, but what happened in both districts, just different results, was the Democrat improved upon Clinton's performance by over 20 points. And that is data. Yeah. It is hardly a, a prediction that no Republicans get elected in November. But it is data. It is it is consistent with what we have been seeing in the election returns. <clears throat> and kind of forget about. I'm sorry. Go yeah, ahead, forget Eric. about election returns. I'm looking at retirements. Yeah. Thirty-three I, in the House. Yeah, there are forty Republicans that, for one reason or another, will not continue in the House. Um, Thirty-three retirements, and it, look at who some of them are. Freelinghuisen in New Jersey, the chairman of the Appropriations Committee, Bill Schuster in Pennsylvania, the chairman of House Transportation and Infrastructure. Now he's terming out as chairman. Nonetheless, but the approach chair was not terming. No, right. And Trey Gowdy. Yeah, Trey Gowdy. So the as Mark is as we have said, the market is telling us something, 
And to me, that is much more compelling than, than even the special elections, than even Doug Jones winning in Alabama. These people know something's up. Yeah. And they're bowing out because they're going to lose. They know more than we do. They're bowing out because they're going to lose. And yeah. I think it's going to be an absolute bloodbath for the Republicans. interesting uh, piece of polling data that uh, I came across yesterday. Uh, the, the long story short is Frank Luntz, whom we all know mm-hmm. is a very credible Republican side uh, pollster, did some work for uh, a client of ours, actually. And the most interesting uh, item was a 20-point 20 a 20.0 differential between Democrats and Republicans when asked, are you likely to vote this November? Right. It's all ab- it, it is all about getting out the enthusiasm. vote. Right. I'll offer another, another <clears throat> fun fact, because you can also measure enthusiasm by dollars. And one of the things yeah. that we're, we're seeing, this is just a, a fun little fact. It's, it's not mine. I'm going to borrow from another friend at Politico. But of the 23 Republicans representing seats that the Cook Political Report rates as likely Republican, 12 were outraised by at least one Democratic challenger in the, in the recent quarter. By contrast, only one Democrat in the same likely Democratic position was outraised by a mm. GOP challenger. Yeah, I mean, there are the money. 150 different statistics we can give yeah. on this call to um, argue in favor of the point that Republicans are in a whole heap of trouble. Yep. And I agree it is fundamentally about um, the metrics around enthusiasm and getting out the vote. And I just – I don't care where the economy is. I don't care what's happening. Trump can – you know, changes Twitter habits over, it doesn't matter. People are so motivated on your side of the aisle to vote against Trump, they're coming out, and it's going to be a wave. Well, one of the things that, that, that we have talked about and, and that I'm curious about your perspective is it's February. We are still nine months away from, if I did my math right, nine months away from an election. And in this day and age, nine minutes seems like a lifetime. Um, Mark, do you sense any, any, any slack there? I mean, any, any, well, I'd love the election to be tomorrow, but as Senator McCaskill told us in our talk the other day, um, we asked her that question. Her answer was, I think there's a pretty good track record that this president is going to continue to keep our side inspired and engaged. And I, I think that's a pretty safe bet at this point. I think one other thing that we've talked about in these calls, but, but to me it is ever-present. It has not gone away. And that is health care. Trump owns health care now. Obamacare is Trump care. The Republicans own whatever happens, good or bad, in health care, and bad things are going to happen. Well, and it is already number one across the board, no matter where you poll it nationally, state by state, health care is the number one issue. And bad things are going to happen because here, there, and everywhere, it's getting more expensive. 
and the savings that some people are going to realize from the tax cuts are for some of those people going to go right into their health insurance premiums and that is now hung around the Republicans neck uh, just as it was on on our side healthcare cost us the Congress in 2010 and I think it could be the driving issue. The president and healthcare combined are, I think, uh, good omens for for November. So is this Obama's revenge? It is. You have to rename the uh, <laughs> right the Affordable Care Act yet again. Uh, or what Trump said, he repealed it. Uh, didn't, of course, happen, but uh, the. It can be Obama's individual mandate. Trump gets everything else. The question I have for you, Howard, is will Trump's military parade change the entire <laughs> dynamic? Well, I predict the Eagles parade will be better attended than the military That's parade. That's probably by, true. Oh, out, That's probably by true. A, a serious order of Because you have a single-issue city. Yes. Um, uh, look, I, I thought that was interesting. It's obviously very Trumpian, but I also think, as as um, dysfunctional as things may be um, over there at times, uh, don't underestimate. My thought when I heard that this morning was, don't underestimate his political instincts. This guy, love him, hate him, don't care. He has better political instincts than the three of us or anybody else I know. And if he thinks it's a good idea to throw a military parade, then guess it, there's, gotta, there's something to it. Well, two, two things, if I may. And who knows what it really means, by the way? I, I always think there's less method to the madness than you do. We've been having that conversation for going on two years now. But the one, the one method to this parade madness is there's no denying that this guy is tuned in to that 35 to 40 percent base of his, and I'm sure a military parade will make will make them happy. Look, I don't want to see a North Korea style military parade with big artillery guns pointing up at the sky, marching down Pennsylvania Avenue. But I think it'd be pretty cool to see veterans from Vietnam and the Korean War and World War II and Iraq and Afghanistan to honor the vet. Who knows what it is? But it's not as simple as, you know, this is a... um, China-style, North Korea-style military parade. And by the way, I don't think there is, I didn't say there's method to the madness, but there's instinct to to the idea. He's got, again, love him or hate him, he's got, he's got a base. Tuned in to, it's not just the base. It's not just the base. Look at immigration and the recent shutdown. He was on the right side of that politically. Not, and that's not just... Which day? Just get out the calendar and let's go day by day. And you just as a general matter, as a general matter. There's no general matter. There is. It's by from day to there day. There is. The the Democrats shut down the government over 
DACA. Right. Which the president yesterday said he wanted to do. Which he does, but there is a, but it, on a when the broad basis, the people in this country, they, they are in favor of immigration, but they're careful about the issue. And he understands that, and he gets that at a more visceral level than I think a lot of people that have been doing this for a much longer period of their lives. Well, we can agree to disagree. And look, I'm not the biggest fan by any stretch of Donald J. Trump. Don't forget, he still got elected president of the United States. No question. And I, I think, as I keep saying, it is going know. to be a bloodbath in November, but don't. It's a mistake to underestimate his political instincts. I'm not saying he's necessarily doing a great job of running the United States of America right now, but it is a mistake to underestimate him politically. Well, we now know why he got elected, because Blake's friend Lanny Davis wrote a book <laughs> and told us, right? Can we play moderator, Blake, and, and ask you uh, if you've read Lanny's book? You know, I've not read, I've not read Lanny's book, um, although I will say as I walked into 30th Street Station this morning, um, it was featured prominently. So, Is that right? Yeah, that, it was. There are many copies of it. Um, yeah. At 30th Street, at a book party, as we as now everyone has heard about. We, we should tell our listeners, uh, just in a sentence, that Lanny Davis, who was, of course, Clinton's lawyer during his impeachment uh, ordeal, uh, has written a book. I, it may even be the title, but it simply directly says that Jim Comey made Donald Trump president. That's right. A lot of people believe that. Yeah. Which makes just on the perversity scale, it, 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 I don't know that I've ever in my political career of decades now experienced anything more perverse than Jim Comey making Donald Trump president, getting fired by Donald Trump, and now being the hero and great hope of Democrats. <laughs> That's as perverse as it gets. As you like to say, what, what a world we live in. Uh, if anybody is, is looking to buy it, it's the actual title, <laughs> The Unmaking of the President 2016, How FBI Director James Comey Cost Hillary Clinton the Presidency. Uh, that's the book. It's available on Amazon. Or <laughs> yeah. That's my sales pitch. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Um, but uh, I forget how we got off on can, can, I, can I just now, say it's, <laughs> this is a, a weird, um, but I think, interesting analogy that I've been making in my mind. I think looking out to looking out to the midterms and seeing one by one prominent Republicans back away in some ways reminds me of um, 2008 when I was sitting here in Washington when everybody was watching one by one the dominoes fall in the in the banking world and Everybody kind of went on with their life and assumed that everything was going to be okay. It wasn't. And it wasn't okay. And this this is in a political context. It just feels like the signs are out there to me that something serious, that there's serious repercussions coming for the Republicans. And we can kind of look at them as one-offs and assume that they're, you know, Friedling Heisen decided he doesn't want to be in Congress anymore. No, I think 
there are political calculations being made about the standing of the Republican Party come November and and people not wanting any part of it. And I just I just really think that um, there's some serious um, I, yeah. stuff coming for the R's. Well, I think so. I hope so. And let's drill down a little into what that might mean. Uh, that means, I think, you are saying the Democrats retake the House. Let's come back in a minute to what that means. Unlikely the Democrats take the Senate. The map is just too daunting. But never say never. A big enough wave, big enough wave could wash the Democrats into control there. But as Blake keeps reminding us in these calls, and I don't want to lose track of this, governors. Right. Governors across the country are up. Democrats are way down in the count. That could flip. And state houses could could change. Uh, so a, a wave is more than just Paul Ryan being retired as Speaker of the House. And, and remember, too, and it, it's not an argument one way or another because we've seen this plenty of times. I mean, it, it, and, and I think credit probably we can go all the way back to Newt Gingrich's seating of, of candidates very early on before he ever plucked them to run for run for Congress, which is elections are about matchups. Right, too. right, totally. And, um, and we're seeing this play out. I, I honestly can't decide if, if Senator McCaskill is the luckiest person in the world when it comes to opponents who just say the most bizarre things. Right. But, um, but, but if you look at if you look at that matchup, it's it's pretty interesting. Yep. Uh, Senator John Tester in Montana, Democrat, um, uh, thus far is avoiding a serious opponent. A lot of the yep. a lot of the candidates that. Republicans had hoped would run against him have opted not to run. Um, that's not to suggest anything, but the flip side of that is the Democrats feel like they've got a strong candidate in Nevada, um, Arizona, Arizona, Tennessee. Um, now the tricky part is if if Governor Rick Scott in Florida uh, gets in the race against Bill Nelson, he's Obviously, personally, very, yeah. very wealthy. Although the polling there is tight right now, but yep. he's getting he, in. I think. I mean, that that seems to be the the, yeah. the 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 conventional wisdom, and that that will that will quickly become, I think, the most expensive, the <laughs> most expensive Senate race in in American history. Although I think several will break the record. Uh, Casey has yeah. drawn for him a good a opponent, good opponent uh, right? In Pennsylvania and West right. Virginia is going to be interesting with West Manchin. Virginia. Yeah, that's the other one with Mansion and and um, Attorney General Patrick Morrissey. That's a that's a really really competitive competitive race, and I think one of the Republicans would put at the very top of their pickup list. Um, and then what happens with Heidi Heitkamp in um, in North Dakota, um, and um, and what that race ultimately? Yeah, our friend like. Joe Donnelly in Indiana. Yep. That, it's hard. It's hard though. We got to defend ten yep. Senate seats in states that Trump carried some of them by twenty points. That that's hard. And then we'd have to pick up a couple of seats, right? Only two, but. The the consequences I want to talk about for just one minute of a Democratic takeover of the House are are interesting to to think about. Uh, one consequence 
will be a <laughs> a, a two-year at least uh, intensity of investigations of the president. That whole investigation thing gets stood on its head with a, a Democratic takeover. Uh, another consequence will be, Blake, uh, some very interesting politicking inside the Democratic caucus yeah. in the House. I will go on record here predicting that Nancy Pelosi, win or lose, is never serving as speaker again. I think we'll see uh, some turnover there. It, it it it's a very meaningful election. A lot of a lot of things are going to depend on on this. And I know our time is running short. Sort of a, a footnote to that, and something I'd like to revisit in our next call is the courts are now intervening on the issue of gerrymandering. Right. Um, we've seen that in Pennsylvania. Um, we've seen it elsewhere, and I'm talking state courts. Yeah. Um, and so, um, so it, there's a prospect that congressional districts in Pennsylvania, which, <laughs> which I, I encourage anyone just look at the map, and then you you'll see how how strangely drawn they are. But but redrawing those districts um, certainly lends itself to to um, to, to turnover from a Republican to a Democrat, um, but time will tell. You have to, there's a process to go through. Um, well, look, there's, there's a, uh, as I say at the end of every call, it is never a dull moment here in Washington. Um, there are probably things that have happened. I, I haven't been on Twitter in the 42 minutes <laughs> this call, so I, I can't speak to uh, whether everything you said is is. How are you checking the market? What's <laughs> <laughs> up? But uh, was at the beginning. yeah, but um, but I do want to thank I want to thank both of you um, for for uh, for your thoughts and insights. I want to thank um, everyone for listening to us today. Comments, questions, criticisms of the moderator are always welcome. You can reach us at politicalanalysis at cozen.com, and um, we'll be back. Uh, I would suspect in the next couple of weeks with with a lot more insight, and we'll continue throughout the year um, to do a deep dive both on policy happenings in D.C., but the politics in the midterm, which I think will be will be endlessly fascinating for anybody who, uh, who cares about the future of the country. So uh, until next time, fellas, thank you very much. Thank you, Blake. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks, Mark. Ladies and gentlemen, that does conclude the conference call for today. We thank you for your participation and ask that you please disconnect your line.